0: Well, good morning. I want to say good morning to all of our friends that are also watching us on live stream this morning. Uh, My name is James, and I get the privilege of being able to serve here as our pastor of Family Ministries. And um, for those of you who don't know me uh, very well, I wanted to just give you an opportunity to kind of get to know my heart a little bit and uh, some of the the ways that I've worked with our our students um, and children here um, at Living Water. Uh, It was this year's seniors, the class of 2020... Uh, that several years ago um, pulled off what uh, could be considered the greatest ruse and most terrifying ruse um, against me when they were uh, in ninth grade um, so if you know me or been part of serving in our student ministry or maybe have kids inside of our children 's ministry, uh, you know that I like to plan i like to i 'm a planner i'd like to to have uh, to consider all the possible variables that might happen inside of uh, an event and um, so students know, like when we're on trips and things like that, I count. I, I do a head count all the time. And whenever I count, I also recount. And I make sure that I, you know, make sure that everybody is there. So the seniors, back in ninth grade, I, I want to make sure that I under, I hope you understand, this is not a recent thing, <clears throat> because surely they've grown up, right? Um, So we were part of a trip uh, to a Worldview conference that was down in Washington, D.C. And on our way back, we would always stop at the same McDonald's. It's about halfway uh, back from D.C. to to Harrisburg. And we we knew this McDonald's well. We would be able to um, sit down and just um, talk through what we learned at the conference. Now, on this particular day, um, the students... um, decided that uh, they were going to hide one of their compadres underneath of the luggage. And they even convinced their leaders, you know who you are, I just call you the deceivers, um, into thinking this particular student was not in their vehicle. And so I go to do my count, and it doesn't count up. And I go to do a recount, and it doesn't add up. And now I start trying to eliminate, and I figure out, within a matter of moments, who the student was that was missing. And I go to their leader and I say, where is the student? Well, I thought they rode in this vehicle. And that person said this, and all of a sudden, I realized I was in the midst of a bad situation. I start, I start uh, kind of flipping out. Um, you know, the, the moments uh, start adding up. I start going back to uh, call that person on the phone. They don't pick up. I start calling the venue that we had gone to, asking if there was a student left behind, knowing I was going to have to humble myself and admit what I had just done. But they were nowhere to be found. And so I found myself leaning against the wall at McDonald's and slowly sliding down into a crouch, putting my hands over my head in shame and saying, what do I do now. And maybe you have found yourself in that situation too. Right? What do I do now? Where do I go from here? That might have been something in the last few weeks or months. Maybe you lost a job unexpectedly or you had to close your business. Maybe you had to relocate your job to your home and now have to combine that with homeschooling your children or seemingly homeschooling your children. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Or maybe you understood in the last few months the pain of relationships that have gone sideways. You're in over your head in debt. You don't know what step to take or even who to trust. Maybe you're hopelessly overwhelmed in an addiction. And it just seems like the grasp of that addiction is forever tightening. But ultimately it leads us to a point when we ask, what's next? And it was at that point when I was sitting in McDonald's with my head buried in my hands, asking what's next, that my leaders understood what they needed to do. And all of the students that were in on that ruse came around me, and the student that was missing suddenly appeared, oh wow, how about that? And I realized, and they tried to convince me that all was well. Now, being lost, being lost. I, I, I struggled to try and understand that for a long time, but, you know, it, it's kind of like losing your keys or something else, right? It's, you're, you're looking in the wrong place when it's lost, but as soon as you look in the right place, you find it, right? And for you and I, in all the situations of life, because I know that we have faced all of those scenarios that I just ran down through, we face that as a local Body of Christ here over the last few months. One or more than one of our family together has experienced those exact things. And, and, and when we take this idea of being lost and looking in the wrong area and take that to these situations of life, we understand that we're simply looking in the wrong place for the solutions of life. When we're looking at the situation, we're trying to find the solution instead of looking to the one who gives us the solution. Am I right? So over the last few few weeks, we've been taking some time to examine in greater detail those who are faithful to God's standard as they faced a variety of challenges in this world. We've seen through the life of Abel that uh, the righteous and faithful follower of Christ has a right heart toward God. We looked at Rahab, and we understand that through faith, God causes us to do the unexpected. And last week, Pastor Ben helped us to understand the concept of sacrificial love in the life of the follower of Christ through the life of Ruth. And today, we're going to study one of the most controversial Old Testament heroes, Samson. And it's through the life of Samson that we understand the power of living according to a calling in our life. And maybe, just maybe, you find yourself lost. And unsure of where you might need to be and where God has called you to. And I pray that today is an encouragement to you. If you would, go ahead and open up uh, your Bibles to Judges chapter 16. And uh, if you would, uh, turn there as we read together. Uh, If you're physically able, I'm going to ask that you stand in the honor of uh, reading God's Word this morning. And as you're finding that, I'm going to give you a moment I would like to, uh, to start, actually, before we uh, start reading, I'm going to start with a word of prayer. Father, I ask that you would help us now to be able to understand this text. I pray that uh, you would speak through me. I pray that you would allow us to be encouraged and challenged and to grow through what we study here this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Judges 16, starting in Verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw, them, saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravenger of, of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, and I may lean against them. Now the, now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ashtael and the tomb of Manoah his father. And he had judged Israel for twenty years. You may be seated. Now, for those who have never studied the book of Judges, when you read it, you kind of get a feeling. Of loss, and this loss is brought on by the people of Israel themselves. Uh, you see, the content and the story of the of the people of Israel is hard to read through, because really there isn't a light at the end of the tunnel. They keep on doing things almost seemingly to sabotage their own selves. Judges comes after Joshua, where the nation of Israel enters into this promised land that God had given to Abraham, and it falls between Joshua and before King Saul and King David, and King Solomon. And what happens is that when Joshua and the people of, of Israel enter into um, the, the promised land, God tells them to, rem- to remain distinct. Don't assimilate. Don't combine with other nations that are there. But of course, they disobey. They marry women of other nations. They worship other gods, and they adopt the practices of the pagans. And so what you see is instead of God's people living as a rescued and redeemed people, Instead, they're oppressed in our need of rescue once again. And so we're really able to see this best through a cycle that runs through the book of Judges over and over again. The first stage of this cycle looks like this. The people rebel against God. They intermarry. They worship pagan gods, and they turn their back from God, or to God. And it's said over and over again in in the book of Judges, that they did what was right in their own eyes. In the second stage, God delivers them over into the hand of their enemies. During this time, God allows the people uh, to do what their heart desires. And he says, if you want to live like the pagans, if you want to practice their rule of law, if you want to marry their women, then you can have it. And God delivers them over to their own destruction. And what happens is that the pagans would enslave and oppress the nation of Israel. The third stage, the people cry out. They cry out for deliverance and forgiveness and God would hear their cry and he would send them a deliverer called a judge. And God would use this judge to deliver the people and the people would once again worship God. Which would lead to a great phase. A period of peace. Where God would allow a time of worship. And God would would be there, and they would lift him up and worship, and they would be in right standing together. And so we see this pattern begin, even at the beginning of uh, Samson's life, all the way back in Judges 13. All the way back in Judges 13, here's what it says. It says, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord gave him into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And so in that, we see the first two phases. We see that they did what was evil, and God gave them over to the hand of the Philistines. And so the solution then would be simply that God would raise up Samson. Samson being the 12th and last judge in the book. All right, And um, the irony of studying Samson during a series on faithfulness, though, it doesn't escape me. I understand. All right, For those of you who have never studied Samson, you, you, you'll come to understand that Samson lived his life for himself because Samson... Uh, was such a controversial character. Even though he was clearly called by God, his life of service was marked by, an embarrassing, uh, by embarrassing failures of character and morality. He was called to a, a life of separation and devotion to God that was to be set apart by God to deliver his people. But he clearly didn't remain separate from the sinful things of this world. And often, he was overcome by them to his own destruction and loss. It's important for us to remember that you and I, we don't fall suddenly into sin, do we? Rather, it happens gradually. And that sin leads to a downward progression in our life. Our sinful nature causes us to be pulled toward a sinful and reprobate mind, as the Bible calls it, right? That's prone to do things like being full of selfishness, envy, and pride. And that wasn't any different for Samson either. Samson allowed his sin and his sinful nature um, and areas of weakness to go unchecked in his life. And this led to him committing all kinds of premeditated sins that expressed you know, an intent to sin. And even time with time to deliberate, caused him to go even further. Now, we don't have time to go into all of the, the sinful activity of Samson, especially since we're in uh, kind of a mixed company with children. We won't go into all that. But if you want to read through from Judges 13 to 16, or you'll get a good glimpse of it. But I want to give you a, a, a mere snapshot of that this morning so that you can understand who Samson truly was. He allows his pride to uh, create an ever-increasing uh, escalation of violence. Following uh, his, the marriage ceremony with his wife, a Philistine, um, he enters into what could be considered a personal vendetta uh, that just runs rampant. And so, if you would, turn with, with me to Judges 15, verses 1 to 8. In this passage, we see that his wife's father has given away uh, his wife to another Philistines. And so he in turn decimates their economy by burning all of their crops. And ultimately, they retaliate and he retaliates back. Judges 15, starting in verse 1. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. Because apparently that was a good gift to bring your wife. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is she is, is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do harm to them. So Samson went and caught three hundred foxes and took torches, and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go in the standing grain of the Philistines, and he set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as all of the, excuse me, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, "Who has done this?" And they said, "Samson, the son-in-law of the, of the Temnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion." And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is what what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. In another text, it talks about how he uh, was able to uh, be very violent and killed many people. And he went down and stayed in the clefts of the rock of Edom. Another passage in... uh, Judges chapter 16, verses 1 uh, to 3, it talks about how he allowed himself to be vulnerable to the attacks of the Philistines while in sin with uh, what Pastor Mike often refers to as a woman of ill repute. Ultimately, what happens though is in Judges 16 starting in verse 15. We're going to read here in a second. Samson gives into the lust of uh, his heart for women and And he forms a relationship with a woman called Delilah. And in this, Delilah is coerced by the Philistines to uh, talk Samson into giving up the source of his strength. And at that moment, what happens, she goes and she tries to deceive him. Three times she's tried to talk him into divulging uh, the source of his strength. And three times he didn't tell her. And every time she would go and she would try and get him to, and test him to see if his strength had lost. Now, you think Samson would have figured this out, but on the fourth time, here's what happens. Judges chapter 16, verse 15. And she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me and you have not told me where your great strength lies? And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death And he told her all his heart and said to her, "'A razor has never come upon my head, "'for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. "'If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, "'and I shall become weak and be like any other man.'" When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, "'Come up again, for he has told me all his heart.'" Then the lord of the Philistines came up um, to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head then she began to torment him and his strength left him and she said the Philistines are upon you Samson and he awoke from his sleep and said i will go out as at other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the lord had left him and the philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he brought uh, and he ground at the millstone Um, in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow after it had been shaved. Now, I want to stop right now and publicly just say thank you to Pastor Ben and Pastor Mike for giving me such an outstanding character uh, to talk about with regard to faith, right? (laughs) You know, when, when you study through the life of Samson, here's what happens. You start to ask, why would God use such a sinful man and did, did God approve or did condone of his actions? But as I started thinking about this this week, we start to understand even though that Samson commits all these, the same sins and the idolatry of the nation of Israel, we see in him a picture of what happened in the Israelites throughout the Judges. But we also see a picture of humanity. We, we see a picture of our sin. And it's not just a picture of what God's people would do in Israel. It's a picture of what God does in humanity for while you know it might be easy to talk about some of the other characters of faith in God's word man it's reassuring to understand that God allows people like Samson people that are a hot mess to be used by God right because ultimately it isn't about following Samson or following Rahab or Ruth or Abel it's about following God It's about following the one who showed himself to be faithful through those that are shared in God's word. Am I right? So we see that Samson was used, and his faith was even shown to us to the extent that that the writer of the book of Hebrews lists him out as one of the the men of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 32, it reads, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah of, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through their faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of the weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. And my prayer for you today is that you would see from the life of Samson that the faithful follower of Christ is called to a mission and equipped for the task ahead. We are called to do something in this world. And it's not that we're just, we're not just called, we're called and then we're equipped to do it. So we're gonna see what Samson's calling was. We're gonna see how God equipped him to do that. And the reason why Samson is is counted as a hero of faith in spite of his sin is simply because he gave up his life for the importance of the calling in which he received When the Bible calls someone a hero of faith, it examines how much that person actively contributes to God's kingdom. We see it in the book of James chapter 2 when when the writer is talking about Abraham. It says this, um, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And we see that in the life of Samson, don't we? Samson knew his calling, and he knew what he was to do, and he did it. God used Samson's actions to accomplish his purpose and considered his call to action faith. And you might be saying, okay, James, I get where you're going, but where was the actual works of faith? Well, it starts by understanding what his calling truly was. Judges 13, this is the angel talking to Um, in Judges 13, verse three, it says this. Behold, you are barren and not born of children. Uh, And not born children, excuse me. But you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And here it is. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Now, I don't know about you, but my parents were constantly reminding me of things when I was growing up, right? In fact, my mom still calls me, have you gone to the dentist, right? I'm like, mom, I'm 40 years old, leave me alone, right? Um, always, always, that's, that's a mom and dad's job, right, to remind us of those things. Can you imagine what that would have been like to be Samson? God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. Constantly, all the time growing up, especially because his mom was barren and she didn't have kids. And this Nazarite vow that he took, uh, we see talked about in Numbers chapter 6 where uh, someone would um, commit to the Lord for a period of time and they, wouldn't, um, they would separate themselves from strong drink. They wouldn't touch any fruit of the vine, grapes, not even the grapevine itself. They would not cut their head. No razor shall touch their head and they would not be around any dead bodies. And so this Nazarite vow and the promise of this angel coming allows uh, us to understand that Samson and his parents understood that God was going to do something great in his life. And he was consecrated to God, expecting that something was going to be done by God through him. And we see the start of that process all the way back in Judges 14 uh, in verse 4, where he starts by marrying a Philistine woman, where it actually says, and this was part of God's plan, and that led, that led to this vendetta that we started to see uh, that w- could be considered sinful. all right. But if we continue and we look at what happens next in Judges chapter 15, starting in verse 9, we're going to get a really good glimpse of who Samson was called to lead. Judges 15 verse 9 says, Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi, and the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is, that, is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, oh, that was the end of my passage there. They keep going. Obviously, I don't have time to go into all this, but I want you to to understand something that we missed there, right? Is there something missing? Now, you would think at that moment, 3,000 guys come and surround Samson, right? And Samson in his mind is like, all right, now they're getting on board with what's going on. All right? You almost get this glimpse of like the, the men coming up behind Mel Gibson and Braveheart. They're ready to march to war, right? Okay? That's the moment that that should have been. All right? Or maybe they're coming and saying, Samson, help us to understand God's law so that we may too understand it and move forward with you. But that's not what we see happen there, is it? Because Israel exists, and their mindset right there is a mindset of survival. So, when the Philistines come at the tribe of Judah, you know what Judah does? They anxiously seek to comply. Now, why would they do this? Why wouldn't the nation of Israel rally around Samson to defeat the Philistines? It's because they're comfortable. And they've become comfortable with their pagan practices, and they've become comfortable with being enslaved. I want to take you back for just a moment to that cycle in the book of Judges that we looked at. In the, what's missing in the narrative in the book of Judges is simply the, the, the part where um, God's people failed to cry out. They didn't cry out at all. Instead of a crying out to God and God delivering them, they're silent, they don't repent for what they've done. They did not cry out, and they did not admit their need for God. What had happened 11 times over and over again in the cycle is broken, and the people of Israel are failing to understand their need for God. Why? Because they're comfortable in their chains. They've forgotten their calling. So they turn over, to, uh, over Samson to their oppressors, because they've become comfortable in their sin. And this is the world that Samson lived in. And he's become an exceptional calling. He has an exceptional calling to lead the overthrow of the Philistines, to free the complacent nation of Israel. And so he's obedient and faithful to his calling. And when the Israelites hand him over, you'll see it later in, in, in Judges 15, that he picks up a donkey's jawbone and strikes down 1,000 Philistines. Because what was his calling? His calling was to lead and initialize the, the freeing of the nation of Israel from the Philistines. And I have to be honest. It was kind of like a cannon going off in my mind um, this week as I studied this passage because I realized that the, the state of the, the nation of Israel um, in that day is not altogether that different than the state of the church in our day and age. See, that's, this, we could say, well, this is just a narrative about God's people. no. It's this narrative about all people and our tendencies. We're, we're just like them. We're immersed and content in our culture and this cultural assimilation instead of looking to what would benefit the kingdom of God. Oftentimes what we do is we say, you know, we're just content not seeking anything higher as long as our basic needs are being met and satisfied. We're content by saying things like, well, this is just the way the world works or things have changed. We're content to come to church, but live like the world. We watch and are entertained by the same object of entertainment that our culture is entertained by. We fall into the trap of, of uh, glorifying our comfort and living for the weekend or retirement instead of following our calling. We say, we, well, we're not doing anything wrong, but I would turn that around and say, what are you doing that's right? What are you doing that's God-honoring? Even this week as I was preparing this, I came across a a preacher here in the United States that sent out a tweet that said, you are already enough. I'm like, are are you serious? No, my friends, Jesus is enough. Not me. I know what I'm capable of. In fact, Jesus tells us um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the mindset that we should have all right, we should be living in contrast and in, 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 in to the world in which we live. That's why he says, we are to be the salt of the earth, and we are to be the light of the world. And he says, let your light shine before men so they could see your good deeds and say, James, you're awesome. No. So they may glorify your Father in heaven. And Israel had no desire to seek a Savior. They were comfortable in their sin, and we're oftentimes comfortable to do the same thing today. Why? Why are, we, why are we like that? Why is that our tendency? Well, because the convenience of complacency is easier than the pain of repentance. The convenience of our complacency is easier than the pain of our repentance. Author Tim LaHaye says it this way. You can't fill your, your mind with filth and expect to be clean. But this is the reason many Christians don't see anything wrong with certain sins, They've been indulging in sinful mentality, uh, mental attitudes so long that sinful actions seem normal. He goes on to say, I've had people try to justify adultery because they didn't feel it was wrong, while in actuality, they felt it was wrong before it became commonplace in their thinking patterns. So what's the solution then? Another great author, John Owen, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, writes it simply, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's the solution. And that's what Samson came upon. He embraced his calling. He understood what he was to do because it's not simply enough to live a life absent of sin, all right? It must involve learning to embrace the calling upon your life. God didn't just allow us to dwell on earth so we as individuals could exercise trust in him and, and, and a personal religion so that we could receive God's blessings and one day go to paradise. My friends, if that's, what, if that's the extent of your faith, that's cheap faith, let's dig deeper. We have a calling, each of us, that are believers in Christ, we've been given, a gifts, we've been given gifts according uh, to his purpose in our life, and we need to seek those out. Learn what his desire is. Learn what it is that he would have us accomplish or who he would have us impact each day. You might say, PJ or Pastor James, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what specific things God might have for me. Where do I begin? And I would simply say this, look around. Look around. The world is full of hurting people who need to understand who Jesus is and the hope that we have in him. Look around, fill a need. What breaks your heart? Find something you're passionate about and then do it for God's kingdom. Oftentimes in our student ministry, with our student leaders and with our, um, our adult leaders, we'll, we'll throw out uh, an equation that really helps us understand this idea of living on calling or, or finding your mission. It looks like this. Your burden plus your passion plus your vision equals mission. Ask yourself good questions like what breaks your heart and find your burden. What is it that you're passionate about? Go and do that. But do that with a vision of understanding that you are given a, a, a job to do on this earth, to do it to build up God's kingdom. And that's our mission. Right? Are you going to make mistakes? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. You, you may not enjoy serving a kids' ministry. That's okay. But somebody else is. You might not you know, enjoy greeting somebody as they come through the door. That's okay. You might not enjoy going into a prison and preaching the gospel all right, but God has raised up people to do that, and he might be raising you up to do that, and you might be denying that in your heart right now. One of the things that I've found to be incredibly helpful in my life, as part of my passion, all right, obviously I, I love working with teenagers and students, and so I really enjoy coaching, coaching across all kinds of different sports. It allows me an opportunity to be able to uh, step into the lives of, of teenagers and help them walk through what is going on in life. Now, for me, I I enjoy coaching, and I coached middle school basketball this year. Um, If you've never uh, been around middle school basketball, there are times when it's just not pretty. All right? It's just not. All right? But I'm not there necessarily for the basketball. All right? I'm there because I understand these these kids and these students need to understand what God has for them. I want to walk beside them as they have things in life go wrong. Because someone did that for me when I was in middle school. And God created a passion and a heart for that in my heart that I want to, to be able to, to pass along to them. All right, and so oftentimes people ask me, well, James, when are you gonna become a real pastor? I'm like, well, I am a real pastor, all right? It's just not oftentimes being up here with you guys. I'm a pastor to our students and to our children Right, helping them understand what God has for them. This past year, I was able to, to coach um, at Harrisburg Christian, and so I had the opportunity to, to walk through a couple passages over the, the course of the year. And here's, here's the passages that I spoke, because I wanted them to understand that it's more than just being called a Christian or deciding that I, I'm a Christian. All right, we're given a calling. All right? In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told that we're to walk worthy of our calling. I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's not just accepting our calling, but it's learning to walk in a way that is going to facilitate that calling, all right? And as we work together with others, Colossians 1, 9 to 14 also says this, For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. My friend, the faithful follower of Christ is called to a mission. But they're also equipped for the task. All right? Now, I have a little activity. I have, uh, I talked with Jeremiah ahead of time. So Jeremiah, I'm gonna have you come up here, all right? And I I like to uh, do this downstairs, so I think this is on. Um, Jeremiah, I have one question for you. And in exchange for a right answer, I'm gonna give you a chocolate bar. All right, this is a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Okay, all right, so here's my question, all right? Having gone through all that we understand now, all right, Samson, a Nazarite, called by God, right, what was the source of his strength? His hair. His hair, are you sure? See, now I'm him thinking. Yes. What was the source of his strength? Oh, God. God was. See, oftentimes, you guys give Jeremiah uh, a correct answer, a round of applause. Thank you, Jeremiah. You see, oftentimes, here's what we fall into. We fall into the trap of thinking it's something I can do, Right? as if growing out my hair or a beard, all right, my, my, my quarantine beard, all right, is going to somehow give me strength or make me feel more manly. Guys, that's not it. What's the source of Samson's strength? It was the father, right? In Judges 15 verse 18, we see after he strikes down all of these Philistines with a donkey's jawbone, we see him call upon the Lord for his thirst and in the passage we read at the very beginning in Judges 16, 28, as, as he was placing his right hand on the pillar and his left hand on the pillar, here's what he cries out. And you hear this right now. It says, O oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two, my two eyes. He was faithful to the very end to his calling, but he understood that he was being equipped by God, not by himself. We see that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him so he could tear apart the line with his bare hands. And we saw that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him as he picked up a donkey's jawbone and struck down 1,000 Philistines. And here's the thing, here's, here's the beauty of this. While in the Old Testament we see the, the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people for certain tasks, we see through, through the prophecy of Joel and even as Jesus came, he said that there would be a helper that would come and, and live inside of us and be there to help us when Jesus was no longer here. So that same Holy Spirit that has empowered Samson for the task at hand now lives inside of each and every believer, never to leave us. All right? Think about this. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 8, as he was ple- as he was plagued rather by a thorn in his flesh says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that you should that it should leave me." But he said to me, "My grace is sufficient for you." For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The strength to fight our battles doesn't come from within me, no matter what Mary Angelou may tell you. Okay? It doesn't come from our will, despite what Mahatma Gandhi might tell you. All right? And you might find yourself listening to Whitney Houston over and over again, and she might tell you that a hero lies within you, but my friends, that's not true. All right? I know what lies within me, and I know who empowers me. Paul tells us here that my weakness, in my weakness, the power of Christ rests upon me, and that's where I draw my strength from today. See, God empowers Samson to do impossible things that are still impossible by even today's standards. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we're empowered by that same spirit and are equipped to do the things that are just as impossible today. Today, you might find yourself in a situation in which you feel lost or unsure of what comes next. And I want to, want to encourage you to look in the right place for the solutions to the situations of life. Because as follow, the faithful follower of Christ is given a calling, a mission, and then is equipped to do it. And we saw that. We saw that Samson obeyed his call. We saw that he was empowered by the Spirit, and it was counted to him as faith. And it serves as an example for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to, to be able to study your word. We thank you for the hope that comes through your Spirit that rests upon those who have called upon your name that have come to right standing with you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would allow each and every one of us to understand uh, what it is that we are to do and to have the courage to do it. God, that might, for some in here, start with uh, coming into a right relationship with you. Having never done so before, God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. God, for those that are here that have called upon your name, I pray that you would give them courage to stand in contrast to the world in which we live. And God, that their hope and their encouragement would come from you alone. God, as we look forward to the day of your return, may you strengthen us each and every day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.